Well, good morning, friends. So good to be together to recognize how much we need the Lord, how much we need the Lord. Have you ever noticed how every few years a new fad diet comes out? Um, A couple decades ago, the first one I remember, I think, was the Atkins diet. You remember this? All protein, no carbs. Uh, More recently, let's see, there's keto, uh, there's Whole30, help me out, what am I missing here? Uh, Paleo, I guess. Um, Well, most recently, uh, I've heard of this thing called intermittent fasting. Are you familiar with this? So the idea is that you eat only at certain times of the day and you kind of alternate eating and and fasting. Now, I don't usually go for the fad diets, but this is one I can get behind. I actually practice this myself. The way it works for me is I eat a normal dinner each night and then I fast for two hours and then I eat a big bowl of Bluebell (laughs) and then I fast until breakfast. It takes discipline, but you know, that's, that's the kind of guy I am, so. Well, I'm not here to tell you whether or not intermittent fasting is a good or bad idea for your physical health. I'll leave that to the nutritionist, but I do wanna say, when it comes to your spiritual diet, intermittent fasting is a really, really poor idea. I'm not talking about uh, physical food, I'm talking about spiritual food. What happens for some of us is we come to worship on Sunday morning and we love it. We love praying and encouraging one another and reading God's word and being in God's presence. It's like a spiritual feast. But then we fast for six and a half days until we come back and start the process over again, right? And you know physically that if you only eat once a week, your body's gonna starve, right? And the same is true spiritually. If you only feed your soul one time a week spiritually, your soul will starve. And in this series, we are talking about the other alternative. We're talking about the good news that the the presence of the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. For those who call Christ Lord, we have the presence of God available to us 24-7, 365, every moment. We're calling this series Constant Feasting, the the Spirit-Filled Life, and we're talking about what it means to live every moment, all of our lives, in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Last week, Arthur kicked us off uh, with a sermon from Acts chapter 1, and he talked about the the gift of the Holy Spirit, and for the next four weeks, we're going to be in Galatians 5 and 6, talking about what the Spirit-Filled Life actually looks like. This morning, we're going to find out that the Spirit-Filled Life is a life of freedom, a life of freedom. So if you'll open your Bibles with me to Galatians 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. May God bless the reading of his word. The week I wrote this sermon was the week that kids got out of school uh, for summer. Do you remember how amazing the feeling was of elementary school, the last day of school. Uh, I was thinking about it uh, as I wrote this sermon. I remember one year, I think it was third grade, I was so tired of school. Uh, I was so tired of wearing uh, jeans instead of shorts. For some reason, my school didn't let us wear shorts. 
Uh, I was so tired of getting up early instead of sleeping late. I was so tired of doing homework inside instead of playing baseball outside. And after what felt like an eternity of waiting, the glorious day finally came and it was freedom, freedom. You remember that feeling? I remember this year uh, when, when I came home from school, I went and grabbed a soccer ball and I went outside and I kicked the soccer ball into a chain link fence for like an hour just because I could. I had really high ambitions uh, in life at that time. But do you remember that feeling? That feeling of total freedom, no, no constraints, nothing holding you down, the whole summer just laid out before you like an endless buffet to do anything you wanted to? Well, we grow up and we get out of school, but that longing for freedom never really goes away, does it? We still long for that Freedom. We may have higher goals than kicking a soccer ball against a fence, but we want to be free. I mean, teenagers want to be free from the rules of their parents so they can do whatever they want to, right? Younger adults want to be free uh, from, from debt and they want to have financial freedom so they can spend their money the way they want. Older adults I talk to that are toward the end of their career talking about, oh, I just can't wait for retirement when I'm free from my job. We all want to be free, but, but, but so much of the time, if we're honest, we don't, we don't feel free, right? We feel constrained. We feel trapped. Maybe we feel constrained by our situation. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's responsibilities. Maybe it's our family. Many of us feel constrained by the expectations of other people. Anybody else ever felt constrained by what people expect of you? Some of us feel constrained by our past. Some of us are constrained by uh, addiction of one kind or another, or one of a hundred other factors. You know, we may be out of school, but, but we, still, we still feel trapped. We still feel like that freedom that we experience as kids is gone forever. And into this sense of longing, Paul speaks a word of good news. He says, God has set you free. That's the first main point of the sermon. God has set you free. Look at verse 13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. I hope this makes your heart beat a little bit faster. This is such good news. This is like uh, June 19th, 1865, when the 250,000 enslaved people in the state of Texas finally received the news about the Emancipation Proclamation and they found out that they had been set free. This is like May 8th, 1945, when war-torn Europe received the news that Germany had surrendered and Hitler's reign of terror was over. This is good news. Paul is saying because of Jesus, God has set us free. Now this is actually one of the, the biggest themes in all of scripture. If you're new to scripture, when you start to read, what you'll find is that you find this theme all throughout. Way, way back in the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt and, and through God's mighty hand and through Moses, he set them free and, and they went from being slaves of Pharaoh to the free people of God. And that theme of God setting people free echoes all the way through scripture. Just a few quick examples. We'll put them up on the screen here. In Luke chapter four, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Then he goes on to say, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He sent me to set the oppressed free. In Romans six, Paul says, you have been set free from sin. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us, uh, that, that Jesus has died as a ransom to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. God has set us free. He set us free from, from so many different things. First of all, as these last two uh, passages told us, he set us free from our sins and from the punishment they demanded because Jesus died in our place. 
Jesus also has set us free from fear, right? By assuring us that he is on the throne and that everything that happens to us, even when we don't understand it, that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has set us free from loneliness. He's given us Jesus that scripture describes as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He set us free from death. Because Jesus conquered death, we have assurance of eternal life. God has set us free from all these things and so many more, and that is cause for celebration. But the freedom Paul's talking about in this passage is a very specific kind of freedom. In this passage in Galatians 5, he's talking about the fact that God has set us free from the law. In other words, through Jesus' death on the cross, he set us free from the need to earn our salvation through good works. So in the Old Testament, the way that people related to God was through the law. God had given the law to his people, the Israelites, through Moses on Mount Sinai, and it governed every part of their lives. It governed how they related to other people. It governed how they related to God, how they honored him, how they worshiped him. It, it told them how, how to distinguish themselves from the other nations around them that weren't following God. And when they sinned, it told them how uh, to make sacrifices to atone for those sins. Every part of their life, every part of their relationship with God uh, was based on following the law. But when Jesus came, everything changed. Jesus completely fulfilled the Old Testament law. On the cross, he made a once-for-all sacrifice that permanently changed the way people approach God. No longer do we approach God through law-keeping. Instead, we approach him by grace by grace, based on the completed work of Jesus. You with me? I know it's a lot of Old Testament kind of theology there, but stay with me. Here's the problem in Galatia. The people had received Jesus as Lord. They had expressed their faith in Christ, but they were trying to add law-keeping on top of that. They were still trying to earn their salvation through good works. Anybody know another word for this when we try to do this? Legalism. Legalism is what this is. Called. And Paul, against this, Paul's saying, look, you can't earn your salvation. You can't do enough good things. You can't be good enough. He says, salvation isn't based on you. Salvation is placed on you. It's all grace. And he spent the first four chapters of Galatians saying, you're free from the law. You're free from having to earn God's favor. Your justification is through faith in Christ, not works of the law. He's saying legalism is a dead end. No one, no one can be justified through works. It's all by grace. On the cross, Jesus took our sin. He bore our curse and now through faith in him, God actually accepts us. God loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, not based on our work, but based on our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. This ought to make you wanna shout amen. Praise God, friends, we are free. This is great, great news, but it's not the end of the passage. Right after Paul tells us that God has set us free, he also tells us that the enemy is setting a trap. He says there's danger in this freedom. Look at the rest of verse 13. Starts with good news. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. I actually like the way the ESV translates this verse. It's a little uh, closer to the original Greek. It says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And this word that's translated opportunity is a really interesting word. It's usually used in military contexts. It's like a base of operations from which an attack is launched. Isn't that interesting? So Paul's saying, look, 
the enemy wants to use this good gift, this freedom, as an opportunity to launch an attack on you. He, 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 wants to, he wants to twist this freedom that God has given us to trap us. The enemy is setting a trap for us and the bait he's using is this freedom that we love so much. Just like a, a mouse trap uses cheese to lure the mouse into danger, the enemy is using this good gift of freedom to lure us into danger. He's trying to twist the good freedom into something that leads to death instead of life. And by the way, this is exactly how the enemy works on us most of the time, you know. Most of the time, he's not tempting us with things that are blatantly, obviously evil. I, I feel pretty good about the fact that, that, that you will not be tempted to rob a bank this afternoon, probably. But the enemy does set traps for us and what he typically tries to do is to twist some good gift that God has given us and to use it in a way that's destructive instead of life-giving. Let me give some examples. So uh, one, one example is God gave us work and work is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift. It's a way to honor and glorify God but the enemy tries to twist that good gift and he tempts us to find our identity in our job instead of finding our identity in Christ. He twists that good gift of work and, and tries to get us addicted to the high of achievement and to step on our family and our friends and to damage our soul. Anybody with me? Anybody experience that? Here's another example. God gave us sex. And sex is a wonderful and beautiful gift. In the context of a lifelong marriage between a husband and a wife, it is a wonderful thing. But the enemy tries to twist it. He tries to twist that good gift and, and tempt us to use sex uh, as a way to gratify ourselves rather than to serve and love our spouse. He twists it and, and tempts us to, to try to find sexual fulfillment in, in pornography or in sex outside of the bounds uh, of marriage. And what looks like freedom initially turns into slavery, it turns into bondage. And you know it from, from experience and people you know, it leads to pain and to brokenness. A third example, God gave us the wonderful gift of technology. What, what a beautiful gift technology is that allows us to stay connected with others and to extend our capabilities in amazing ways. But you know the enemy can twist technology as well and we can find ourselves addicted to our phones, slaves to the next notification, to the next post. You see how that works? The enemy takes those good gifts that God has given us and he tries to twist them. He, he shows us the cheese and when we reach out our hand, we find out that we're trapped. It reminds me of the old adage about addiction. I don't know if you've heard this, I, I love this. It says, the chains of addiction are too soft to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. Isn't that profound? Too soft to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. We don't realize what's happening to us as we reach out but then it's too late. The enemy says, God has set you free. And here's where he twists it, friends. He twists it. He says, use that freedom to please yourself. Use it to indulge your flesh. Use it to satisfy all your selfish appetites for power, for control, for popularity, for pleasure, for esteem. And before we know it, we've taken the bait. And what we thought was freedom actually becomes slavery. Way back when I was a teenager and I took driver's ed, I remember them talking about the danger of overcorrecting. You remember this, you know how it works. You're on the highway and you start drifting a little bit too far left and what you're supposed to do is just ease back toward the center, right? Uh, but what happens when we overcorrect is we jerk the wheel and you can end up 
going off the road on the other side. Well, that is the exact danger that Paul is talking about here. What he's saying is in your attempt to steer away from legalism, make sure you don't overcorrect and veer off the other side of the road into ungodliness, into sinfulness. As he says in Romans 6, grace isn't an excuse to go on sinning. In fact, it's just exactly the opposite. Grace ought to motivate us to live lives of holiness. Not so that God will love us or accept us. We already covered that, right? We can't be good enough for God to love us or accept us. Grace doesn't motivate us to try to get God to, to, to love us or accept us. No, grace motivates us to live lives of holiness because we're just so grateful. We're just so grateful that God has set us free. We're so grateful that we have God for a father. And don't miss this, we truly believe that his way is best. But when we overcorrect from legalism and we veer into sinfulness, there are terrible consequences, friends. Look at verse 15. Paul describes what it looks like when we fall into the enemy's trap. He says, if you bite and devour each other, in other words, if you use your freedom to please yourself, look what happens. Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul's saying there's a ditch on the other side of the road. If you think your freedom means doing whatever your flesh tells you to do, whenever it tells you to do it, you're gonna end up destroying yourself. You're gonna end up destroying the people around you. I think this is such an important point. You know, I, I don't think anybody taught me this intentionally as a kid, but I kind of grew up with this idea that, that God's word, God's law was like a, an arbitrary list of good stuff and bad stuff. Here's all the good things, here's all the bad things. Good people do good things, bad people do bad things. If you do the bad stuff, God's mad at you. If you do the good stuff, God's pleased with you. But in recent years, I've really come to see this differently. God doesn't give us these commands to constrain us. No, he gives us these commands to set us free. He gives us these commands because he loves us and because he knows how it is best for us to live. And he doesn't want us to fall into the enemy's trap and end up destroying ourselves and one another. And thankfully, there's another alternative. We don't have to use our freedom to indulge the flesh. Look back at verse 13 again. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul says the point of our freedom isn't to please our flesh, it's to serve our neighbor. I think it's interesting that Paul uses the word serve here. You don't typically think of freedom and serving in the same sentence, but Paul says paradoxically, true freedom is found in becoming a servant. In Romans 6, he says it even more starkly. He says, you have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Sounds like a bait and switch almost at first, right? I thought I was free, now I'm a slave. No, he's saying that true freedom is found when we become a slave to righteousness. This makes me think of the wonderful pastor and theologian, Tim Keller, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he says this, I'll, I'll read this quote. He says, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put out on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even to live is destroyed. And don't miss this line. The fish is not more free, but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. I love that line. The fish is not more free, but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. And friends, the reality of our nature 
is that we were created by God and for God. And we are most free, not when we're doing whatever it takes to please our flesh. No, we are most free when we are living in the wonderful, beautiful kingdom of God. We are most free when we aren't living to please ourselves, but when we're living to please God and one another. We are most free when we intentionally submit ourselves to one another and we intentionally become slaves to God and servants to each other, motivated and empowered by love. I think this is a really important point for our church right now in this season of transition. You know, when things change and and people start to get anxious, it's just so easy, isn't it, to start looking out for your own preferences, your own needs, your own desires. It'd be so easy to use our, our freedom to work for what we want, what is best for us, and then just to fight against or step on anyone who's standing in our way. But God calls us to use this freedom not to indulge our flesh, but to serve our neighbor. And I really think in this season, one of the most important things for us, one of the things we're gonna need the most is an unshakable commitment to loving each other, no matter what, to humbly serve one another as we follow Jesus together. All right, so to recap, God has set us free and he's warning us to avoid the enemy's trap and not to use our freedom to indulge our flesh, but to love and serve others. And that raises a really important question. How in the world do you do that? If you've ever tried, I mean really, really tried to love your neighbor as yourself, what you find out is it is really, really tough. And in fact, in your own strength, it's impossible. But fortunately, we're not asked to do it in our own strength, are we? Because this passage tells us that the Spirit will set you right. Paul tells us the Spirit empowers us to actually live this way. Not to talk about it, not to think about it, not to dream about it, but to actually, don't miss this, to actually live out a life of love and service to others. Look at verse 16. This is so amazing to me. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Friends, that is an amazing verse. I know I've read this a, a number of times, but when I, when I was studying this this week, this verse just slayed me. He says it so boldly. He doesn't say, walk by the Spirit and you'll get a little bit better. No, he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What an amazing promise this is. By the grace of Christ, the Holy Spirit empowers us to actually live differently. And I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the Spirit can cause you to live differently? I think sometimes it's easy to slip into this line of thinking that says, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm so thankful that Jesus died on the cross to save me from the consequences of those sins. And, you know, I'm going to do my best to stop sinning. I'm going to give it the old college try, but, but really I don't expect that I'll make any real progress until I'm in heaven with Jesus. Friends, that's not what the Bible says. We will not be perfect until we're in Jesus' presence, but look what it does say. 2 Corinthians 3 says, we all, because of Jesus, are being transformed. You notice that doesn't say will be transformed. It says we are being transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. And in Titus 2, it says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the age to come. No, in this present age, isn't that amazing? It says grace teaches us now, today, how to live upright and godly lives. 
And then there's a little hint as to how it happens here because the Spirit turns us into people who are actually eager to do what is good. We actually are transformed from the inside out. Friends, God has set us free not just from the consequences of our sins, but from their power. He's setting us free to actually live the kind of life that he intended for us. And the way that this happens, our passage says, is by walking in the Spirit, by intentionally and regularly opening our hearts and lives to the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit, by intentionally and regularly surrendering our will to his, just like Jesus did in the garden, remember when he said, not my will, but your will be done. By regularly asking the Spirit to change our desires, to guide us, to lead us, to strengthen us, to follow and obey him. This is so different than the way we usually try to change behavior, isn't it? I mean, our default setting to try to change behavior is an outside-in approach. So just one example, uh, the government doesn't want us to speed on the highway, so what do they do? They, they give us speed limits, and then if you break the speed limit, they give you a speeding ticket that hopefully is expensive enough to motivate you to slow down. It's an outside consequence that hopefully leads to an inside change. And sometimes this can be at least partially effective in certain areas of life, but the Bible tells us this is not how spiritual formation works. True spiritual change never comes from the outside. It always comes from the inside, where the Holy Spirit is at work. I love what Catherine Booth, the wife of Salvation Army founder William Booth said. She said, what the law tried to do by a restraining power from without, the gospel does by an inspiring power from within. In other words, the law motivated with a bunch of shoulds and shouldn'ts with some consequences thrown in for good measure. It worked from the outside in, but the gospel is exactly the opposite. The gospel works from the inside out. Transformation never comes from outside guilt or shame or rules or consequences. And by the way, if you have people in in your life that that are not following God, you shaming them is never going to lead them to Jesus, okay? Transformation never comes from outside guilt, shame, rules, or consequences. It comes from the Holy Spirit transforming us on the inside into a new kind of person, Now, this is not easy. The passage tells us it's not easy. It goes on to say that the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other. You know what that feels like, right? It says the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. Poet Carl Sandburg says, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. (laughs) You know what that feels like, don't you? I want to be the eagle, I really do, but sometimes the hippopotamus wins. So what's the answer? Well, surprisingly, the answer is not trying harder. That's our tendency, isn't it? Just feel guilty, try harder. Feel guilty, try harder. Feel guilty, try harder. But when we do that, it's like trying to get rid of weeds in your yard by mowing. How long does it look good? About 30 minutes, right? And then you turn around and the weeds are back taller than the grass. But if you talk to a landscape expert on how to get rid of weeds in your yard, you know what they say? They say you have to have stronger grass. You have to have healthier grass. As the grass gets stronger and stronger, it chokes out the weeds so they can no longer grow. And friends, our spiritual life is the same way. The secret to transformation for us and the people we love isn't guilt or shame or trying harder. It's opening ourselves to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. It's letting the Spirit strengthen us from the inside out. It's letting the Spirit help us fall in love with Jesus more deeply. 
It's letting the Spirit help us see the beautiful vision of life and God's kingdom more clearly until there's less and less room for the weeds to grow. As we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit sets us right. He transforms us into the kinds of people who are actually eager to do what is good. So we're almost at the end. What's, what's the takeaway for us? Well, first of all, if you haven't made the decision to give your heart and life to Jesus, that's the starting point to live a life of freedom. And if you have, the, the, the walk away for, for us today is to walk in the spirit, to recognize that the presence of God himself is available to you right now, every minute of every day, not just Sunday morning, but all the time. He's not gonna force his way into your decision-making, you know. He won't take away your free will. He won't turn you into a robot. But if you intentionally and regularly surrender to him moment by moment, day by day, the scripture tells us that he will transform us in ways we can hardly even imagine. He can transform you into the kind of person that genuinely wants to do what is right who genuinely loves your neighbor, who genuinely seeks to serve instead of be served, a person who lives in true freedom. If you're looking for a good place to start, uh, may I suggest uh, prayer. On your way in today, we handed you one of these cards. You can pull that out. Um, It it has a short prayer on it that thanks God for the gift of the Holy Spirit and and it, it asks the Spirit to fill you and work in your heart and life. What I'd love to encourage you to do is to take this home and to put it somewhere where you'll see it every day this week and just pray this prayer every morning. Better yet, you may even wanna snap a picture of it with your phone and pray it several times uh, throughout the day to invite the Spirit to fill you and to find yourself walking in freedom. At the beginning of the message, I talked about the, the longing that every elementary school kid has for summer. You know what I long for these days? What I long for is for you and for me to experience true freedom. It's really what I long for. Pastor John Ortberg says that real freedom is, the, is not the external freedom to gratify every appetite. It's the internal freedom to not be enslaved by our appetites. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for the day when instead of lashing out in anger when someone treats you unfairly, that naturally you respond with love and with grace and forgiveness? Don't you long for the day when instead of feeling the need to shade the truth to make ourselves look better, we feel free to let people see us as we truly are? Don't you long for the day when instead of looking out for our own interests, all of us naturally and joyfully look out for the interests of others? Don't you long for the day when instead of jockeying for positions of honor, we're we're racing to the bottom, we are humbly looking to serve one another? Don't you long for the day when people in our families and in our church and in our community are genuinely loving our neighbor as ourselves? Friends, that is real freedom. And it is available, it is possible, by God's grace, through Jesus' love, through the Holy Spirit. So church family, let's walk in the spirit and let's walk in the freedom of God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we praise you and exalt you today. We thank you so much for your constant presence in us and with us. 
Forgive us for all the times when we've tried to earn our own salvation, when we've just tried to change our behavior by trying harder. Forgive us for that. And Spirit, would you take the wheel? Would you transform us from the inside out? We long to be the kinds of people who don't use our freedom to indulge our flesh, but instead to serve our neighbor. But on our own, it's tough. And so we just pray that you would indwell each and every one of us and empower us to live that kind of life. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen.